Hello, I'm Sarah Kapalak and this is In the News from the Irish Times, where we take a close look at the stories that matter. Today, why is there so much disinformation about COVID and is it a symptom of a bigger problem? Over the past 15 months, we've been bombarded with information on a daily basis about COVID-19 restrictions and safety measures. But while most people turn to the health authorities for the facts, many others are falling down a rabbit hole of disinformation. No vaccine's ever been proven safe and no vaccine has ever been proven effective. We know that's not true. Please allow me to answer your question. Millions and millions of lives have been saved by vaccines. Asymptomatic people do not exist. They are healthy people. Crime correspondent with the Irish Times, Conor Gallagher, has been tracking the rapid spread of false information about the virus and vaccines over the past year. Taken back to the start of the COVID, some of the misinformation going around was very benign and good-natured. You might remember the one WhatsApp message going around that if you can hold your breath for 10 seconds, it means you don't have COVID. I think we were all doing that at one stage. But then as it progressed, stuff definitely got darker. You might remember the attacks on telecommunications towers uh, by anti-5G people, by people who thought 5G was either causing COVID or spreading COVID or making COVID worse. People are going around and damaging it because of some rumour that is circulating. It's not true and it's incredibly stupid uh, to be. The only thing I, t- I totally agree with everything yeah. you're saying, but what I don't accept is mainstream media immediately slapping that down as not true when they don't know it's not true. No one should attack or damage or do anything like that, but it's very easy to say it is not true because it suits the state narrative. That's all I would say as someone with an inquiring mind. I suppose the most concerning thing that this has shown is an increasing move away from an agreed set of facts. That's that's a scary thing for me. In the past, society could usually agree that a thing happened, but would then disagree with how you respond to it and sometimes disagree very forcefully. And now, in some cases, we can't even agree that something actually happened, much less how you respond to it. The power of false information means some people have lost all trust in what they hear from experts and the government. Will disinformation fade away as the pandemic ends, or is this distrust here to stay? Connor, can we step back first and take a look at this whole process of falling down the rabbit hole of disinformation? How does someone end up in that position? Say you have a person who, at the start of the pandemic, believed COVID-19 was a real thing and that it was dangerous and also trusted the government. How do you go from being that person who has trust in the authorities to simply believing that everyone is lying? Well, just to take kind of a generic example, which would be a common kind of story I've heard. It's it's someone who they're watching COVID happen, they're watching it spread across the world, they're watching it come into Ireland. So far here, 24 cases of the virus have now been confirmed in the Republic. And then they start getting um, WhatsApp messages. And at the same time, you're watching on the news and you, it's really scary and you think it's, it's really bad and you want to take all the precautions. But you're also getting this other stuff that's, you know, saying that it's actually no worse than the flu. Actually, the standard seasonal flu kills loads of people every year and no one bats an eyelid over that. So in this um, video, Maybe you look that up on YouTube and YouTube starts recommending other similar videos that are saying it's no worse than the flu. And then the next video actually says it doesn't exist at all. This is a trick or the next video might say it's a man-made weapon released on purpose by china 
Um, it's a way of gaining world control. All the bad things that have happened to us since the beginning of 2020 were carefully thought out and planned years ago. And then your whole internet feed, as you know, the way the internet works and the way those algorithms work is just people, you know, variations of those theories. You start following these people uh, online, so your whole worldview is, is these people, and these people are telling you not to trust the mainstream media, not to trust, you know, the health authorities, that these are lying to you. But if it's not clear to you by now that something's off, then I don't know what to tell you almost inevitably it starts to kind of drive a wedge between you and your loved ones and you're uh, you're even more alone which reinforces your beliefs that you're the only one who has who has cottoned on to the truth and that everyone else is a, a sheep so to speak it, it basically goes back to this thing that the human brain needs to see a pattern in things it finds patterns comforting and it finds it really really discomforting that there's a world there that's really complex that shades of grey and that often things happen that shouldn't happen, that there's no easy explanation for it. So when you had 9-11, say, you had a lot of people saying it was the government who did it. Um, it was an inside job. Ain't no way that shit went down the way that they said that went down. Don't believe what you've been hearing. Because that was just easier for the brain to comprehend than terrorists were able to attack the heart of America and, and kill thousands of people. Same with COVID, you know, it's very hard to accept that the world is so random and unpredictable that this pandemic can kill millions across the world and there's not really much we can do about it. Uh, it's much easier to blame, say, a government or to pretend the pandemic doesn't exist or to pretend that it was, you know, manufactured by the New World Order to keep the population down. I know that you have spoken to some people who have listened to these views and have totally changed their beliefs in the last 15 months. Can you give me an example of someone you've spoken to who's gone through that process? One of the most interesting people I've met during the last year and a half has been a woman from Mead called uh, Jean Murray. I don't accept that it's a deadly, serious pandemic. I don't think uh, a lockdown was necessary. Uh, For some reason, I started noticing Jean on social media uh, while researching other related matters about misinformation. And she would she seemed like she was somebody who would post every conspiracy theory under the sun and was just incredibly active in that sphere. So I took a notion to go back through our social media accounts to the start of uh, 2020, so just before the pandemic. And I was really, really surprised. It was like a difference in night and day. You go to our social media account uh, before the pandemic and it's just the regular everyday posts of a middle-aged Irish woman. At first, um, I did post um, information on my Facebook page to help people keep their houses clean and avoid viruses. Um, but then almost overnight, um, maybe over the course of a couple of weeks, the posts changed and they changed the, the usual conspiracy theory material about Bill Gates being behind uh, the coronavirus, um, that the virus doesn't exist, they'd say it's no worse than the flu, that it's a man-made virus. And, and this is one of the things I've noticed about people who go down this rabbit hole is they can hold on to lots of beliefs, even when they're contradictory. So the virus is, you know, was deployed by the New World Order, but also it's no worse than the flu. So, you know, I, I interviewed Jean, who's a really, really pleasant woman, and, and you could tell she was doing all of this to protect her family, who she believed were in danger. But that 
unfortunately became uh, a wedge issue within her family as well. You know, she talks about being isolated from her extended family and her friends who, who don't want to listen to her talking about this stuff. And she's devastated by this. And what was also interesting was, yes, she go down this rabbit hole of COVID misinformation, but she would also go down these adjacent conspiracy theory rabbit holes. Um, for example, before COVID, she posts about what, how we need to do something about climate change. Now she thinks climate change is, you know, a hoax or it's not happening or that it's something to control the population. So I'm not sure how typical she is, but she, she does show how COVID has been used as, as a way of spreading these other conspiracy theories in, into people who are already vulnerable to believing one conspiracy theory. And when we look at this rapid spread of disinformation and fake news stories about COVID-19, who are the people behind all this? I mean, are we talking about lots of individuals doing this on their own initiative or are they part of a, a coordinated group? It's not one group. I, I think it would be fair to say that it is one big network for the most part, at least in uh, America and to a certain extent in, in Ireland and the UK. All these people know each other. They will all uh, echo each other's points. They will all appear in each other's podcasts and, and uh, shows. Recently, a fascinating report came out from a, um, an organisation called the Centre for Countering Digital Hate. And this is a US-based report, and they found that just 12 people are responsible for the vast bulk of misleading claims and lies about COVID-19 vaccines um, uh, on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. They call them the disinformation dozen. Calls are rising for social media companies to remove access for these users, arguing they violate terms of service agreements. And they found that 65% of the shares of anti-vaccine misinformation on social media can be traced back to, to these 12 accounts. So you've really got a small period at the top which widens out into you know a, a vast network of people spreading this stuff and the stuff they're spreading it's the standard stuff we've come to know the anti-vaccine a- activists are involved alternative health entrepreneurs and a lot of them also sell supplements and books there's often a you know a monetary motivation for a lot of this they will claim that you know they will deny that COVID exists they will say there are false cures for it and that vaccines are not needed. They will obviously spread all sorts of nonsense about what's in vaccines and will say that doctors are motivated by, you know, money to 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 recommend vaccines. Um, so it's the standard stuff, but it's actually coming from a remarkably small number of people at its source. And that obviously spreads out into a broader network. And is the same thing happening in Ireland? Is it a similar pattern where there's a small number of people beating a very loud drum? A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. You have a very small number of people at the top and you will come across their names over and over again. This isn't uh, as organic a movement as they might like to portray. And some of these people are very well qualified in some areas. Some are scientists, some are doctors, others are, are well qualified in in different unrelated areas but that still gives them that bit of uh, cachet uh, and some of them just have that bit of charisma but for them these people their full-time job seems to have become the spreading of misinformation the creating of misleading posts on, on social media appearing on each other's podcasts and online radio shows trying to organize protests in various parts of the country and also traveling to other protests uh, around europe So here in Ireland, who are the main voices behind this disinformation campaign? You mentioned scientists, people in positions of power sometimes. I mean, who have you come across through your research? 
If we're talking about high profile spreaders of misinformation in Ireland, I suppose you have to mention uh, Professor Dolores Cahill. This lockdown is based on lies. He was a UCD professor and was an incredibly well respected scientist. Um, she came back to Ireland uh, in the mid 2000s uh, from the Max Planck Institute in Germany. When she first came back here to UCD, you know, it, it, the papers described her as being tempted back and uh, Science Foundation Ireland called her a superstar of Irish uh, scientific uh, research. And there was good reason for that. Her work, which focuses on the large scale study of proteins, has been cited almost 6,000 times in academic studies. And she's been involved in this bewildering array of like scientific boards and councils and task force. So she came back here and continued her research here and was, was very quiet, didn't have much of a profile, was just working away in the background. Um, that was until about 2019 when she ran as an independent in the general election and got about 500 votes. And she became, you know, a bit more high profile after that. She joined the Irish Freedom Party, which are a hard right party whose main thing is about uh, getting out of the EU. And when COVID struck, she really became active um, and, and, and as you can imagine given her scientific background her views carried an awful lot of weight and she's appeared on dozens and dozens of YouTube channels, podcasts, um, marches. She was speaking at a march in uh, Trafalgar Square a few months ago there addressing thousands and thousands of people. So what has she been saying? It's kind of the usual stuff. Um, initially she was talking about vitamins preventing the virus. Um, and how social distancing doesn't work. Um, most people might know her from her appearance uh, at St. Patrick's Day at an event in Herbert Park. Her speech uh, went somewhat viral. These children will never reach the IQ and job potential because their brains are starved of oxygen. I mean, this is a, a professor saying this. Is that oxygen-deprived people are easy to manipulate. This is going beyond kind of challenging the scientific reasoning behind using masks or, or the effectiveness of vitamins, you know, in, in combating uh, COVID. This is pure tinfoil hat stuff, really. If everybody, if everybody just stopped wearing masks, this would be And Connor, what about this story we saw emerge last week about social media influencers in France and in Germany who were offered money by a mysterious ad agency to spread fake stories about vaccines? It was reported that they were asked to tell their followers that the Pfizer vaccine was responsible for hundreds of deaths. And reports also suggest that this PR agency has Russian links. What happened there? And is this something we've seen happen before? Yeah, so this is a remarkable story that appeared in The Guardian last week and it threw a lot of people for six because it, it, it shows maybe that there's a lot more planning and money behind this misinformation campaign that maybe was previously suspected. Um, so as you said, French and German YouTubers and bloggers and influencers had been offered money by a PR firm called Fazi, uh, which is supposedly based in the UK but isn't registered to any address in the UK to falsely tell their followers that Pfizer, the Pfizer vaccine is responsible for hundreds of deaths. And the newspaper reports that this PR agency also has Russian connections. We have heard 
some reports of Russia trying to spread uh, disinformation about the Pfizer vaccine. Um, and this is all political power play kind of stuff so that Russia would have the, the main vaccine and uh, the Sputnik vaccine would be you know, seen as the, the only show in town. And also it disrupts other countries. So other countries can't get people to take their vaccines. That's good news for, for Russia because the Russian foreign policy seems to be cause as much chaos in the West and you know, see what happens after that. Coming up, what are the real-life consequences of disinformation? I just want to bring it back to Ireland as a whole country. I mean, is it just a small number of people who actually believe this? Or are the efforts that the government and the HSC are making to combat vaccine hesitancy and support people to make informed decisions? Is, is that working? Are people trusting the government and the HSC on that? I would say that Ireland has a lot of reason to be hopeful in this area and that Ireland has actually responded incredibly well to, to, to the vaccination rollout in terms of trusting the science and not being drawn down these, these rabbit holes. And that's saying something when you've got a huge amount of confusion and contradicting information about vaccines to date, you know, especially in the in regarding AstraZeneca and uh, Johnson and Johnson and the news that they caused blood clots in a very small number of cases and countries back and forth about using them and not using them or using them in the over 60s or using them, you know, in the over 50s, you know, all that stuff serves to create this trust. But in Ireland, actually, we're, we're doing incredibly well. Um, uh, Dr. Colm Henry actually said the uptake of the vaccine in Ireland has been astonishing. Uh, this came after the HSE confirmed that half of all adults have received one jab so far. You know, if you look at France, if you look at other European countries, in particular, if you look at parts of the US, you see a huge amount of vaccine hesitancy. But in Ireland, we seem to have avoided that to the large extent. And what's notable is that willingness to take the vaccine has only increased as more and more people know someone who gets the vaccine and doesn't get sick and doesn't have a bad reaction and is able to start resuming their normal lives. That makes other people more confident in the vaccine. So uh, barren disaster in Ireland, we've uh, yeah a lot of reason to be optimistic. But I guess more hesitancy might emerge as the vaccine rollout moves into younger people and specifically young women, actually, because recent research from the National University of Ireland in Galway shows that women under 30 are far less likely to get the vaccine than men of that age. So what can be done to counteract this? I mean, are there worries that there will be a lot of young women who just won't take the vaccine? Yeah, according to some of the more recent research, uh, women are up to four times more likely to be uh, hesitant about taking the vaccine compared to men, which is really unusual because other studies have shown women are more likely to um, stick to public health measures such as, you know, social distancing and, and wearing masks. So people have put forward various uh, reasons for this, and it's not something that's unique to Ireland. It seems to be across across the world. And now there's questions on whether or not they have an effect on women's reproductive health. And in Ireland, we are talking about small numbers, the vast, vast majority of, of women and men uh, 76% according to one CSO study would, would get a vaccine tomorrow if it was offered and most of the remainders are hesitant rather than anti-vaccine. So that's also another important thing to, to, to point out, the difference between anti-vaccination people and vaccine hesitant people. You've got one group who will never take a vaccine probably as, as long as they live 
uh, and then you've got another group who just you know they see some of these reports about blood clots uh, etc and they just have questions and those are people you can reach and you can reassure as long as you get them like good quality honest information so you asked what's the best way to approach it um, and you know, I've talked to a good few experts about this, um, including Dr. Walsh, who carried out that study. And it seems to be, yeah, accurate information. You need to get, get that information to them because they're getting the information from somewhere. But, you know, you don't know how what good quality of that information is. So if you look at the HPV vaccine rollout in Ireland, there was a lot of misinformation spread around that, which caused uptake of the vaccine to drop significantly. And then the HSE, with the help of some very, very brave women campaigners, such as uh, Laura Brennan, were able to counteract that and actually reverse the trend. And, and now HPV uptake up is, you know, back to the levels they were before. So you can reverse this, but it's about being honest with people. It's about not patronizing them. Um, it's about talking to them as intelligent people. And maybe crucially, it's about not um, disparaging them for believing these things. Because people have a lot of reasons for believing misinformation or disinformation or just for being hesitant and it's important not to make them feel bad about that um, because that's only going to make people retrench into into their positions. Is there a chance do you think that these targeted disinformation campaigns might just fade away as the health crisis ends or is online disinformation just a part of our lives now and it's here to stay? If everything goes well and if um, this Indian variant doesn't start to take over and cause case numbers and debt numbers to go up again and doesn't cause the need for a fourth lockdown this current breed of online disinformation i believe will go away because the evidence for vaccines the evidence for public health measures such as masks and social distancing will have been proved to an extent and life will have gotten back to normal and this is one of the things that conspiracy theorists have said during the pandemic is life's never gone back to normal this is a way to control you now and this is here to stay so you know, that would be very, very good proof that they were wrong. So that would be a huge blow to them. Whatever happens, something like this is going to happen again. Pandemics like this or or uh, coronaviruses or, or similar viruses are a thing in the future. And it's just something that we're going to have to uh, be very careful to monitor. But uh, these people will always find something to exploit. There'll always be money to be made from going against the accepted thinking. And as well, we found we see with certain countries like Russia and China, um, it's an effective way of, or can be an effective way of destabilizing your neighbours. So that's going to have to be uh, built into, and that, and that actually is built into a lot of governments' uh, national security plans, the threat of state-sponsored disinformation. Thanks very much, Connor. You can track all of Connor's reporting from the past year on disinformation and COVID-related conspiracy theories at irishtimes.com. In the News will be back with you next Tuesday. <laughs>